0: I think we'll go ahead and get started. Uh, Welcome to Philosophy at LSC, a series of public lectures uh, put on jointly by the Forum for European Philosophy, the CPNSS, and the Philosophy Department uh, at LSC. Today we have Armin Schulz, who is in our department working on um, the interaction of evolutionary biology with philosophy, social science, and psychology, these kinds of questions, and today is going to be speaking to us about rules and representations, desire from an evolutionary point of view.
1: So I'll turn it over to Armin. Thanks very much. Um, Let me fix it. There we go. Okay, Uh, so yeah, uh, thanks very much. I really appreciate it. Um, Particularly since there is a, uh, a philosophy uh, party going on at the same time that uh, some of you, uh, in fact, I can told all of you are invited to. Uh, uh, which is, you know, it, it also happens once the talk's over, but I, I do know the competition is stiff, so I'll, <laughs> do, I'll do my best to, to keep up with it. Um, uh, good, yeah. Um, so the, the title has changed slightly, but, uh, you know, hey, it's just the label. Um, that's going to be a theme anyway as we're going through this a little bit. So, uh, what are we going to do? Uh, the two things I will to try to convince you of. Uh, the first is I'm trying to talk to you or uh, talk to you about, convince you of, argue in favour of a certain way of doing philosophy. Um, you might come here with a, sort of a certain preconception about what philosophy is like or what it should look like, and um, depending on what that view of philosophy is, I might I'm trying to sort of violate your expectations a little and try to suggest there's, there's certain ways of doing philosophy that might be interesting and new. Um, and, and different from what you might expect it to be like. And particularly, um, the kind of thing I want to suggest we'll do um, is um, um, it's something that might look, in many ways, a bit like a combination of biology and psychology, and, and uh, 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 sort of an odd mixture of, of, of all of these different things. And, and you might just sort of say, what, what, does, what, "What does that have to do with philosophy, to some extent?" In some extent. Um, that's a good question to ask, and then we'll, uh, I'll try to suggest at the end of the day that it might not matter so much whether it's called philosophy or whatever. It's just interesting. That's my hope. And then the second thing is that's basically what I'm going to be doing mostly is I'm trying to um, uh, to, to engage with a certain specific question about um, about how our minds work, maybe um, our minds, maybe those of other animals as well, namely about the way they're structured. Um, so that's a certain, sort of the question I'll use as a way to address this first point. Um, okay so um, here's, a, here's a way to think about the issue I want to talk about, there is this model that underlies a lot of the work in, uh, in, in the social sciences, a lot of work in economics, I um, be some of the work in social science, um, certainly a lot of the work in psychology, particularly about mental psychology and a lot of the work in cognitive science as well, um, and, uh, and a lot of the work in, a lot of work in philosophy, which is you could call that model the model of a belief desire psychology. Uh, the, the idea is that there's sort of uh, uh, two kinds of mental states that organisms use when they make decisions, uh, belief states and desire states the belief states are sort of there to, to tell the organism in some sense what the world is like and the desire states are states that tell what <coughs> the world should be like for it to be good for the organism um, on a famous metaphor um, beliefs are like maps and desires are like places on a map that tell you where you ought to go um, uh, it is also interesting, this is just a saying I will briefly mention this later on uh, as we go through this, um, this Sort of picture arguably underlies the sort of ordinary everyday psychology we use to make sense of each other. So when I ask you why, you know, so your friend asks you why did you go to this lecture? Uh, you you, you, know, uh, it was, you know it was you know terrible lecture. Why would you go to that kind of thing? And you say, well the reason is I thought it had desire in the title. It sounded really interesting. Turned out that was just a mistake. And that it's easily explained because I explain what you did by a false belief. I can also say you know you know. Why did you go to that lecture? Because I just wanted to be bored. That's the that's the kind of place. that also explains why you're here. Um, then there's that's sort of that's meant to that's meant to be happening every day, all the time, sort of thing. And um, whether that's true or not is not something I want to touch on. That might not be true. It might not be in fact uh, the the case that we when we make sense of each other uh, in, in everyday life that we actually use a psychology like this. This has become controversial. Um, uh, you know and particularly what that psychology looks like is quite controversial what I'm interested in is sort of the, the scientific side of this there's I think there's this model of the mind that underlies the, the way lots of scientific theorizing works and this model is based on this belief desire dichotomy to what extent that model matches what's actually going on in sort of an everyday life that's not a question I want to address leave that open. Um, now as it turns out I think there's um, there are lots of ways in which people have studied this model, try to understand how the model works and uh, you know, how beliefs and desires are combined to... To make a decision and how these components work individually. Um, and people have been doing this in psychology, they've been doing this in philosophy, they've been doing it in cognitive science, have been doing mathematical modeling on this. And sort of recently, one of the more fruitful approaches to this uh, has been an evolutionary one. People have started to ask, look, minds, <coughs> human minds, as well as the minds of other organisms, in fact, they're <coughs> sort of they're traits like other traits. They're, uh, you know, they're traits like size to some extent. And um, if you're interested in, in how a trait is structured, then it's often a good idea to just ask what can we say about this trait from an evolutionary standpoint and so needless to say people started to, to do the same thing when it comes to this sort of model of the mind what is interesting about it however is that um, typically when people have done this they've tended to talk about beliefs they've sort of left their eyes out of the picture for one reason or another so this, this is some body of work talking about the evolution of beliefs why would organisms evolve states that are belief-like in some sense um, and uh, uh, you know what? You know why would they do this, and and, and how do these belief life states look like given this, and so on. But it's not a lot of work on desire so much. Why would you evolve desires independently of beliefs? If you can maybe ask that question, um, and that's a little odd, obviously, because it's the belief desire model of the mind. It's got two parts, so it's a, it's a little <laughs> odd to just focus on one part. So what I'll try to do here is to answer. Oh, give one answer to the question about why desires might have evolved and I'll try to suggest why or convince you that this is an interesting question and that the answer to this question is interesting for our understanding of how our minds work also should say I'm going to say a little bit more about what I mean by desire and also believe in a second so okay Uh, here is sort of here's where I eat my words um, One of the very few attempts in the literature to even th- that address that explicitly went out to address the question of why uh, desires, desire-like states might have evolved is by a uh, philosopher called Kim Sterelny in his uh, in, in his book from 2003. There's so earlier accounts that he's of his of, of, of that that he's sort of working off of, and there are other people in the cognitive ethology literature and so on that have been doing. Doing work on this, so he's not—he's not the only one working on this. Um, his is, an, his is for us, sort of the one that's most usefully focused on. It's—it's it's the most directly speaking, I think, to the issues that I want to address, uh, and, and it draws on a lot of different other accounts. So it's sort of a nice—it's an account. And as I, as I want to suggest, his account is interesting. Um, I think it's—it's it's interesting because. Um, on the one hand it, it does not quite right but it's, it's wrong in the right way to make it interesting and there's, there's a, lot, a lot you can you can use it uh, for this uh, account comes in two parts there is a sort of a negative part which um, which says that the reason why beliefs have evolved must be different from the reason why desires have evolved so so the kind of stuff that drove the evolution of beliefs must be different from the kind of stuff that drove the evolution of desires Um, argument here is just that, look, beliefs are are meant to be these kind of states that tell you what the world is like, they are meant to be, you know, they need to deal with an environment um, that is deceptive in certain ways. Typically organisms have to deal with you know, predators that don't want them to know that they're there, or they have to eat prey that doesn't want them to know that it is there. Um, You have to deal with plants that sort of pretend not to be edible, even though they're (coughs) edible, uh, and and so on. Plants that look at it, or even though then they're not. Um, and, and, and so you need to figure out how to deal with this. And so, so only wants to say beliefs have to sort of respond to this kind of environment. But desires are certain, they're sort of responsive to your internal states. They say what the world looks what, what it would be good for the world to be like. So, for example, if you're thirsty, it might be good to get some drink. But that, that kind of stuff is signaled to you truthfully. Uh, and so, these are very different environments that these two states are responsive to. So, we need to look for different reasons why beliefs evolve from from why desires evolved. And then he gives a positive story about why desires have in fact evolved, which uh, which is the idea that in some environments at least, um, uh, desires have features that make it easier um, and more reliable for an organism to make decisions. Um, what I want to do here, I'm not going to really say anything about the negative part. I think there is stuff to be said about it, I'm just going to assume for the sake of the argument that it's true, or at least what I'm going to assume is that it's useful to ask for a separate account of the evolution of desires from the evolution of beliefs so I'm not going to—I'm uh, I'm not going to presume anything that the, the, the organism we're talking about here also has beliefs. Maybe they don't. Maybe maybe they do. I, I'm going to leave that that open. I'm just going to ask: Here's some organism. What, is there reason to think that, or what kind of circumstances would give us reason to think it, it should evolve uh, something like desires? Um, Sir so only then goes on to say. When you, when you ask this sort of question, you uh, you need to sort of, uh, in, in some sense, go in two steps again. The first step is you need to ask yourself, if an organism does not use desires to make decisions, well how else would it make decisions? And uh, his answer is clear, and this answer seems to be right, as we'll see in a second. Um, if you don't use desires to make decisions, you're probably going to be some sort of drive-based organism, you use some set of drives. Great, uh, now we've just got two labels, desires and drives, what's the difference here? Um, Roughly, um, drives are said to be states of an organism that dispose it to act in certain ways without having representational contents. These are like switches um, that that are just triggered by the environment. So if your switch is on the left, it's like a thirst switch that says, you know, switch is on the left, if you're in the presence of water, drink. There's no further sort of processing going on, you're not representing the fact that you ought to be drinking now, you're just drinking when you're in the presence of water. That's all that's going on. By contrast, if you're relying on desires, you're relying on states that represent what the world ought to be like for it just to suit the organism, what it would be good for the world to be like for the organism, what the organism ought to do uh, in, the, in the situation that is it's in, something like this. And so, this thing is not representational, does not rely on, a, on, a, on making, sort of drawing up a present representation of the world, but this is sort of more like a trigger, a reflex, and this relies on these next question then is of course to say great, what again is it to represent something? Um, and uh, I'm not going to answer this question because it's quite controversial, quite tricky and I don't have to do it Um, so I'm not going to Um, uh, there there are quite a lot of different accounts about in the literature and actually going back to certainly to Locke and and Kant but arguably even even further back, so this is an old debate and here's just um, uh, what matters for us, if on the motivational side, I want to say you are representational, you're using designs to the extent that you A consult, B some sort of explicit tokening of what the organism, what you ought to be doing in the situation that you're in, in order to make a decision, that is to say, you need to, when you make a decision and there's something in your mind that you can, that you can consult and say, okay. What what is it that I ought to do? And then you consult that thing And that thing tells you what it is that you ought to do You're you're going through this, uh, this mental state type thing That is making decisions in this representational way If you just sort of act Without going through this extra step You're acting based on drives It's an important distinction Because it's not enough on this picture That you act as if You went through this sort of reasoning You actually have to do it We'll come back to to this sort of distinction. That's going to be a key key part of the the, the picture here. This is the story that that this is in the background. the is not hyper clear on this, but this is basically in the background what Surroundings wanting to say, I believe. And it and it is not just Surroundings' account. It's sort of from the, from the background of the literature here. I believe it's sort of a minimal account. And I want to want to uh, just agree with this and adopt this. And here is again, you might say, what what does have Is this the same desire that I have in ordinary? Life, when I say I didn't want to go to this talk, but my friend maybe, um, Then, you know, uh, if this the same kind of desire, is this different? I want to leave this talk. Our, our ordinary sense of desire might be a bit and might involve lots of other things. I'm just going to use this very basic version of <coughs> it. Then Storani goes on to say, so this was the first part if you don't rely on desires, you, you rely on drives. And he says, when would you switch from drives to desires? He says, "Well, in some environments, having using desires better than using drives. And there's, there's sort of four key advantages that he wants to say desires have over over drives. Firstly, if you're desire-based, you have an easier time making adaptive decisions, decisions that are um, fitness-enhancing, that are good for you biologically. You know, you can have more kids that way. Uh, if you uh, if you face a lot of different options, you know, its, it's a Circumstance, right. So, if you if you can if you have a fight or flight response, you can stay and fight, or you can run away. These are your two options. Drives might be good. The only to say. But if there are you know fourteen different fighting behaviors, fourteen different you know fleeing behaviors, it gets a little bit more tricky to figure out how these drives are meant to accomplish this task with desires that's meant to be. easy. Secondly, I um, strongly want to say designer based organisms are better because you don't need to rely on a vast number of motivational states. In some sense you can see two as an answer to one. One, one way in which this drive based organism could make sense of a lot of behavioural options is to have a lot of drives. If you have a lot of drives you can make sense of a lot of possible options. So have a different drive for every sort of option as it were. But then arguably you get a lot of different drives. And it seems having that many drives is a little and biologically impossible. You're dealing, you know vast numbers of these bizarre reflexes, reflex like things. And that, that's not possible, so we argue. Um, uh, what's this? Uh, yeah, desire-based organisms are also set not to have to rely on these on strange, unreliable mechanisms for, uh, for making decisions. Particularly what Stirling has in mind here is this sort of winner-take-all mechanisms. It seems that if there's if you have, in a certain situation several drives are active at the same time so you're hungry and thirsty at the same time drive based organisms go with the strongest drive then you just drink or you just eat but it seems not of circumstances you kind of want to do something in between right you want to drink and eat something sort of uh, and, and so um, a desire based organism can sort of do sort of something in between the options where the drive based organism is forced to do this either or not, that might just be the wrong thing. Um, and then he says uh, desire based organisms are faster in changing, uh, in adapting to the world than drive based organisms. Drive based organisms are basically stuck in evolutionary time because if you, you, right, sort of they have certain needs and so they have certain drives that help them, help them uh, uh, satisfy these needs, but then their needs change or the environment changes, gives them new ways to satisfy these needs. They have to then slowly get to have these new drives takes a long time but with designs you can learn, you can say ah I, you know you have you want to satisfy some design you just acquire new beliefs if you have beliefs or n- you make sense of the world in a different way now um, uh, and that allows you to just say okay then now I want to do this other thing uh, and you can learn much quicker towards the developmental time um, and so uh, and that's good so you don't have to wait for generations to get this stuff sorted out. That's the in a nutshell, here's why I don't think the story is, it, is all that far. Um, I, I do think it'll suggest that I suggested, this is perfectly right. That I think the way Surrani sets up the account as desires versus strives, that's I think the right kind of contrast. Uh, uh, that, that's not just his loss, I mean, this is sort of this is the contrast in the literature. This seems to be the key debate, and, and anyway, this is certainly a key debate to be had here. Why should you rely on representations? Why should you represent the world? Uh, uh, when you could just sort of rely on drive without these representations. That's a key question we want to answer. And I think that's right that we want to answer this question. What, what's not quite right is, I think, the way he wants to answer this question. Well, there might be too strong. I, I, in some ways, I kind of want to agree with lots of what Sturani is saying. I think he's just not giving the story, really, that he should be giving. He sort of he stops a little short, I think. Um, so, um, in particular, sort of a, a, a two sided problem, I think, for his account. I don't think it's it's not clear why desire based organisms would avoid the problem he alleges to exist for drives and it's not clear why drives have these problems in the first place um, and so, uh, if you, right, so you can sort of see uh, this isn't such going to be such a plausible story and I'm going to just tell you this briefly why, why I think A and B these two things are true for, for these four reasons that he had. So here's the first reason. Desire-based organisms are said to have an easier time making adaptive decisions when the range of behavioral options is large. But um, in many ways, that just seems to me that's just begging the question. I mean, that's maybe that's right, but why on earth would that be so? I mean, I, can, I told you I just kinda said that, but I, I didn't really give a reason. It's not Storanum doesn't give a reason, and it's not at all clear to me. So it's not obvious what the reason be here, this, this doesn't seem to be the kind of thing you can just say, you, you, you want sort of evidence of this, you want some, something to rely on here. As a matter of fact I think that's probably true um, but you, de- there's, you have to do some work to get there so one way to, to, to think about what I'm going to do next is just try to flesh this out, another way to think about it is that I'm giving a different of an account, it doesn't mean that. Um, right, uh, so you know, on the one hand w- what's the problem for drives here and why are desires better? Um, with point two, this becomes more obvious, right? So he says, "Ah, uh, if you're relying on on drives, this is this idea. You just have maybe, right? Uh, if you just have a lot of drives, then you can solve this problem somehow." Uh, and he says, "Well, that's that's impossible because a lot of these drives, having lots of drives, is impossible." But that's that's odd because why is it so problematic to have a large number of drives? Right? What's I mean, how many drives is too many? What's the problem here exactly? I mean, is 50 drives too much? Are we talking 500? What's the right order of magnitude? And for that matter. Why is it so much better to have a lot of desires when compared to having a lot of drives? I mean, on the face of it, it just seems like I can have this or I can have this. Why is this one better than this one? Um, thirdly, he says desire based organisms don't have to rely on these unreliable mechanisms for, for adjudicating amongst different active motivational states. Right? Um, they don't have to rely on these winner take all mechanisms. Um, but it's just not clear to me why a drive based organism must rely on this. I mean it's true empirically often the kind of accounts that people give here <coughs> typically rely on these, but I don't think there's any necessity on this. These are simple accounts that people employ, it's sort of a good way to make sense of some behaviour, but there's no nothing intrinsic to drive based organisms that requires them to use a mechanism like this, as far as I can tell. And by the way, the same problem seems to arise for desire based organisms. You would also have to sort of figure out a way if you have different desires that are active. You, both want to eat and want to drink now what are you going to do, it's not clear to me that Sturani just gets to say oh it's easier to make, to solve that problem rather than to have two active drives and to make it worse it seems like the few people who've sort of looked at this um, in the philosophical literature and the psychological literature even in sort of the neuroscientific literature come up with accounts f- to solve this problem, they are precisely the winner take all account that Sturani finds so impossible. so it's, it seems this whole story is, is flipped um, and then, uh, fourthly, um, uh, desire based organisms are said to be sort of quicker. They can adapt in developmental, not evolutionary time, but that just seems to me not right. I mean, why would you think that, that acquiring a new drive has, has to happen in evolutionary time? There's a plenty of data that you can acquire drives over developmental time. You can do it. You know, there's a lot of work in conditioning. Um, there's a lot of work from Darwin onwards about how habits can can turn into instincts, how an organism can acquire something and and how habits and instincts are very much alike so you can acquire a new habit, you can learn how to drive a car because in many ways something that's quasi-instinctual, quasi-reflex, like quasi-drive like but you can adopt this and uh, adapt this and change this in developmental time so it's not clear that this is true and by the way it's not clear why desires must be the kind of things you can change in developmental time why isn't it the case that the fundamental desires you have are acquired innately? Have them in and if you have to change these, you have to go through evolutionary uh, uh, time as well. So it's, it's just not clear that we have an answer to this question. So I say maybe uh, maybe we should look for a different account or account that clarifies these things and that can at least help us solve this problems. Do it. Well, maybe. Uh, here's, here's one thing that one can say. Um, main idea behind this account is sort of fairly simple. So it's lots of times when organisms interact with the world, there's a certain pattern. Their right? They do stuff, but there is a certain kind of pattern in what they do. And this is important because, um, in many ways, you can think about this pattern as some principle that organizes, drives, you know, in a sense, the actions of the audience. <coughs> then, if you could just represent, consult this principle when making a decision, you don't have to memorize every instance of the you can just memorize the principle and apply the principle to the particular situation you're in, and then you can make a decision this way. you don't have to worry about memorizing every sequence of the principle, you just memorize the principle. Um, and, um, and that uh, can, be, can help you save various kinds of resources, energetic, uh, cognitive resources of various kinds, and help you make, make more adaptive decisions. And that can be a uh, fitness enhancing. To get this, to get this, to get a bit of a, a handle on what I'm trying to say, um, uh, here's an example, sort of a stylized example, right? Here's, here's an organism, some organism, and, uh, and it's uh, assume it's dry-based, uh, and it's uh, living in or it finds itself in some mountainous region, and it doesn't have water, but it needs to drink. And assume also that there are several sources of water in the, um, in the vicinity, uh, up some higher in the mountains, some lower. We also assume that the organism uh, uh, sort of has information about these water sources. Um, and then we also know that the, the way the organism is, uh, is constituted walking, uh, you know, moving uphill is twice as costly in terms of energy than uh, moving downhill. Um, then, um, w- when if, this, if, you look at, if you look at this kind of organism, if this organism has to, wants to act appropriately, adaptively, it, and it, because it's drive based, it needs to sort of connect a particular action to every possible position on the mountain it might find itself in, or it can distinguish. Um, uh, and so, then, if, if it needs to decide what to do, it needs to detect where on the mountain it is. I mean, detect in the sense that it might falsely detect it or it, you know. Get it needs to sort of acquire information somehow about the, where it is on the mountain, and then use that to go through its sort of this. It sort of has this table, uh, and it finds the appropriate entry on the table that says, "Okay, for this position, do this," uh, and and then you act accordingly. So, graphically, right? So here's the mountain, and it's a nice mountain because it's. Uh, strictly monotonically increasing so we can represent any position on a mountain by a certain number which is quite nice Um, um, all mountains (laughs) are like this naturally Um, and there's a here these these dots are the water sources there are spots Um, and then here's the table that sort of organizes the decision-making mechanism of the of the organism so it has sort of all the possible locations right it doesn't distinguish in between these lines it can just distinguish these lines Um, um, or it it does some rounding there or whatever Um, and um, and then it, it associates the, uh, some particular water source in line with the, with the, you know, walking uphill is twice as costly as walking downhill. Um, and uh, so it associates a certain water source with every entry on that table. So, if an organism you might be here, so that's sort of about six-ish, right? <coughs> then what you're going to do is you're going to go through your table, uh, and you find yourself right here. You say, okay, what what is it I ought to do? I ought to go to water source on level four. I just wanted to show I can do this with PowerPoint maybe that's, that's the reason why I do that. Anyway. Um, if, however, this organism is drive-based, sorry, desire-based, not drive-based, the situation looks quite different. Because if it now if it represents sort of the principle behind its action, it can calculate what to do. It doesn't have to rely on a table, it doesn't have to memorize it. So uh, It's like this, if you have the ability to represent the principle that generates your actions you have a behavioural rule that you can follow, so you have this rule for example that says walk to the water source that is this from here, so X is the nearest downhill source, Y is the nearest uphill source and it's twice as costly to walk uphill than downhill and you want to find the shorter of the two distances, that's the rule. And then you say, ah, um, you know, presumably, you know, you've got some information about the environment, you presume yourself to be at location three, you know, height three on the mountain, then you can just plug this into this equation and and compute the fact that the minimum of one, two times one is two, you go to water source two. Uh, That should probably be one, shouldn't it? Yeah, okay, well, that's one. Um, But, uh, you know, if you can do the math right, that will work for you. Um... Now, uh, the key idea behind this system is, is that organisms that rely on rules to make decisions um, are relying on representation and motivation states. So, so, what i want to try to suggest is, if you make decisions in this rule-based way, then in, in some ways that is akin to making decisions using design. So, the ability to make decisions in a rule-based way requires you to have desire-like states. You can, this, the ability to make decisions in a rule-based way um, uh, might be a reason for the evolution of
2: desire-like states
1: which are these rules. So you can see this, um, it's not if you're rule driven, you don't just react to the environment you're in but you consult a representation, you consult explicit mental tokenings of how it ought to react to your environment. Right. So unlike the drive based organism who just says I'm here, let me do this, the, um, the drive based organism says I'm here, what is it that I ought to do, it goes through the rule, consults the rule, computes the solution and goes where it ought to go. Um, and so that's why I want to say this is the, this is the story of why they lying like and, right and, and um, uh drives to make decisions but two points are important to clarify this if you, depending on your <laughs> sort inclination you might might have higher text by now already several or you might you might not so um he, here's, here's something I'm not doing that you might think I'm doing um, but I'm not doing this um, which is not there's nothing here I want to say that, that says um Representing something is following a rule of sorts. There is a tradition in philosophy that connects representation and rule following quite intimately, or meaning, content, and rule following is closely connected. So if you're sort of neo-Wittgensteinian, you might be you might be jumping on this. Uh, there's sort of the Wittgenstein through Kripke bogosian sort of line that, that does this kind of thing. And that's not what I'm doing. Um, all I'm doing here is just that if you consult a rule in deciding what to do you, uh, you consult a mental representation of what you ought to do next, you're on a desire that's really all I'm doing, it's not, there's no intrinsic connection between content or meaning and rules or something like that. there might be one that's just not re- relying on the other thing is um, I'm only, what, what I want to claim is that only desire based organisms can follow a rule it's not that only desire based organisms can act in accordance with a rule. So this is a sort of a f- famous classic distinction in the philosophy of social science. Also, you get this from the sort of you get this in sort of vaguely Wittgensteinian stuff. But you, you, it's sort of a, a well-known distinction. Um, and you, to get the, the sense of the distinction, I can compute the square of a natural number. Um, I can do this by consulting a long, extensive list of natural numbers in their squares. So if you ask the natural, what's the square of three? I just go, is it one? No. Two? No. Three? Okay. And then I go to nine that's the answer so for every natural number you give me I'm just going to go through the relevant spot here that's one thing I can do I can also consult the function uh, f of x is equal to x squared I can just say ok you want me to to, to tell you what the square of 3 is well that's easy 3 times 3 is 9 I can compute it Um, now the important point is obviously this thing here if you're consulting a long list of these sort of um, these relations in some sense you are in some sense you are consulting the function f is equal to x squared because right, this, this list is generated from this function but you're not in some sense you're not calculating you're not going through the calculation just consulting you're acting in accordance with the calculation you're not actually following the calculation and it's the same distinction I want to uh, adopt here um, so um, this is to say what I want to say is if you're, if you're drive-based right, you might act in accordance with the same rule that desire-based organism is acting on you're just not consulting the rule, you're just acting as if you followed that rule. And that's very different. Um, So, um, uh, why is this important? I think it's important because the explicit consultation of a behavioural rule like this can save you energy and it can save you cognitive uh, 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 resources of various kinds and it can be adapted in a different way too. Um, uh, So firstly, there's, there's reason to think that if you're relying on rules like this you probably require smaller memory store, um, quite likely require more smaller memory store than drive based um, organisms. And there's some evidence that suggests that um, organisms that have to um, make, you know, rely on more mental states, so for example if you have a network, uh, if you have to distinguish 700 different categories in the world, for example if you have a vocabulary you know, a, a, a lexicon of 700 different words to distinguish The neural network has to be much larger to make sense of this than if if you have to only do half that much. Um, Larger neural networks are important um, and and there's something similar that's true here. You You can either rely on one rule and and a bit of extra information about about the water source or you can rely on this potentially gigantic list of of, um, location, um, state of the world location and water source action connections which can be very, very long so you have many, many more states to, to account for here. This is important because if you if you can get away with a smaller memory store, a smaller neural network, smaller brain, um, that's typically good. Brains are a really high source of energy, so if you can uh, if you can cut down on that energy, you can you can do no, you can do the same stuff that the drive based guy can do. Uh, you just do it with the smaller brain. It's good. Um, Philosophy is actually good. It's also good because even if you don't want to move towards smaller brains, you can you've got now free space. As it were, that you can use for other stuff, uh, or if you don't have the space yet, you can you can you can expand your memory uh, with with other things. You can track more relationships uh, amongst your peers or something like this, uh, and then you can do some combination of these. <coughs> it's also the case that um, if you rely on rules, you have there are fewer cases where where you sort of you just don't know what to do because you're now in a situation where you haven't yet signed an action to a particular location that you're in. Right. You only assigned uh, water sources to the location up to 12, and then you find yourself at location 14, and then you kind of like uh, I don't know what to do, um, and you kind of have to randomise over stuff, or you don't do anything, or something, and that's problematic with the rule, because the rules, at least potentially, can be sort of complete. They're always applicable. You can always com- compute the relevant answer. Right? You don't. You're not in the situations where you sort of lack a piece of the puzzle. Uh, and so you're just, you, you're more, uh, as it were, more cons- consistently able to act adaptively. this is sort of a point that if you found this Daniel Dennett says stuff like this a lot um, and this, this is important because um, efficiency gains like this are known to be favored by natural selection natural selection is the, the one of these um, drivers of revolutionary change uh, made famous by Darwin and, and, uh, and Wallace back in the 19th century, you know, uh, and um, uh, the, the, there's, there's plenty of evidence, both theoretical, that suggests that something like this would be true, but there's also there's lots of empirical evidence now, so for example there's evidence that suggests that the evolution of bipedalism in humans, so that humans uh, walk on two feet, um, uh, was driven by efficiency considerations in terms of uh, uh, you know, the energy used in, in, in uh, local molding between different places. The venation and leaf structure, so that the way veins are distributed in uh, leaves of various plants seems to have evolved by efficiency considerations. These these veins are distributed according to maximal efficiency um, in in these leaves, Uh, and and sort of further data like this. So, so, uh, there's good reason, empirical and theoretical reason, to think that natural selection is going to favor efficiency. That is, cognitive efficiency, where it's available, is adaptive fitter, helps you have more kids. Now before if you are a fan of this literature or if you know a little bit about this and so on and he, here is something that is important to, to be clear on, um, I have tried to argue that, that there are fitness differences between two traits, the desire based minds and life based minds. This claim is quite different from the claim or we, we need to say even if this claim is true you can't conclude from this that either we must assume that desires always must now evolve, or to the extent that we have reason to think that some organism uses desires to make decisions, that it must have been because of what I've just said, because of these fitness differences. And um, we can't say that because natural selection is not the only factor influencing the evolution of many traits. For virtually all traits, I think um, uh, factors other than the natural selection are relevant for their evolution. That's because most populations that you're looking at of organisms are, are sort of, at some point or in the relevant period have been fairly small such that just randomness in the form of drift uh, have played a role for some traits, populations have always been so large that you can basically ignore other stuff and natural selection is pretty much the only thing that's going on but for a lot of traits, at least it's important to realise that, that other things other than natural selection uh, might have influenced the evolution of these traits Um, Also there are certain things like inheritance biases, so uh, traits might not be transmitted faithfully, they might be transmitted in certain certain odd ways, drives might be transmitted much more faithfully than desires, so even though desire based organisms have more kids than drive based ones, the kids that the desire based ones have end up having a lot of drive based machinery instead of desire based ones and that's not true for desire based organisms so that's something we need to take into account it's also true that natural selection is constrained in various ways by genetic, developmental and uh, environmental factors including physical stuff so um, sometimes um, natural selection cannot change the value of a trait so easily because that that trait value is connected Um, it's it's a pleiotropic effect of the same gene complex the same gene gives rise to two different um, um, uh, traits um, and then um, uh, you know, changing one trait isn't necessarily so easy because there might be selection on the other trait as well. Um, there might be sort of developmental stuff, so psychological stuff that's in the cell, or even later. So the <coughs> same, um, uh, the, the, you know, uh, two traits might tap into the same developmental program. So if you if you wanted to change one, you have to change the other, or if you, if you don't want to change the developmental program, you can't really change the one. With also changing the other. Uh, There might be environmental constraints, you can't make organisms bigger, for example, if you don't feed them the right kind of foods. There might be physical constraints, making organisms bigger makes them also uh, have more mass, heavier, and you might not want to have them be heavier, and so on. Uh, So there are all these constraints that you need to take into account. This is important to mention, particularly in this sort of debate, because what I'm trying to talk about is sort of the evolution of psychological traits of one kind or another, cognitive architecture. And A, when you're doing this, um, taking this into account is is quite tricky. It's tricky because um, right, it's it's if you're looking at you know if you sort of soft tissue, uh, skin and so on doesn't fossilise particularly well. cognitive architecture fossilises even less well, right? Because you're not you're not just looking at how a brain is fossilised. You're trying to get sort of evidence for how brains are structured. You, you're not. It's not just a neural network that matters, but what kind of cognitive architecture that neural network realizes and that's quite <coughs> tricky to, to see so getting evidence for these things is quite tricky but because it's tricky it's, you might even say it's, it, you know, it is actually quite important to not forget that there is this evidence that we should be looking for even though it's not so easy to find I should, no, it's not impossible to find evidence like this um, for example Stephen Meissen a paleo biologist has done work on uh, decision making on uh, hunter gatherer societies um, uh, using uh, very ingenious methods to sort of determine sort of different the sizes of different foraging sites, the kind of prey that was hunted, the, um, the location of the foraging sites, what kind of you know, uh, um, tools they used and so on, uh, to determine what the decision making procedures were, were used in the diff- in different hunter gatherer tribes, in the Pleistocene and, and, and earlier in Pleistocene so there is uh, so it's possible, it's just kind of tricky and the other thing to mention here is this uh, that there is a history here in, in people doing this sort of stuff, evolutionary psychology things, not taking these points into account, and going from something like trait A is fitter than trait B probably to trait A must have evolved because it's fitter than this. So um, male human males back in the in, you know back in the Pleistocene it was adapted for human males to be promiscuous. Therefore, male promiscuity now is an it's has arisen by natural selection because of this. That's not that's completely ignoring this, not sort of taking into account sort of any of the fact that we sh- should take into account, not even trying to find evidence for these sorts of things. We have to be careful that we don't do this kind of thing. Um, so what I want to say is that I think it's important. So what it's important to be clear about the kind of conclusion that I want to derive and the kind of conclusion I don't want to derive. Um, what I want to say is this, all I wanted to say is that there are fitness differences between two traits. Um, and I think that's not that's not making the next step into saying exactly which traits ought to have evolved. Um, but even though I don't want to make that step, I don't want to say this is completely boring or irrelevant what I have to say. And here's why. So firstly, we need to know natural selection is important. So just you know, it's not sort of you say, okay, one trait is fair, who cares? Well, it is a bit more important than this, and it's particularly so for complex traits like cognitive architecture. Um, sort of even people who are very sort of Strongly, in many senses, strongly anti adaptationists So they don't think natural selection is that important overall. They're quite comfortable with complex traits like mind designs and eyes, at least to a large extent, having been designed by natural selection. It's just the reason for this is it's just very hard to imagine this stuff not having been influenced in some way at all by natural selection. So figuring out the fitter eye design, the fit, fitter mind design is important for that reason. And secondly, all I want to do here, and I think this, the same is true for Stavalli and, and the people were are careful in this debate. All I want to say is the fact that one trade is fitter than another is evidence for that trade evolving. Not more than that. It's, it's not forcing us to accept one view or another. It's just saying, here's evidence for this view of view. The evidence is that this trade is fitter. That gives me a reason to think that this trade would evolve other things are going on here too and the more I know about it the more I might sort of say overall I should probably have reason to to conclude this trait didn't evolve but the fact that the trait is fitter is evidence for its evolution. That's all that I want to conclude. Um, So in other ways I want to say here's a prima facie reason for the the evolution of desires that they're more efficient cognitively. Prima facie reasons are just in virtue of what they are stuff can interfere with them. That's okay. There's still reasons, and they should not be ignored just because they're prima facie reasons. Um, so it, this, it's a moderate conclusion, but I think it's still an interesting conclusion, as we'll see. Um, I, I hope it, it has interesting implications, and uh, uh, but but it, but it is a bit more a bit more tricky than the sort of the knee-jerk evolutionary psychology thing, which we don't want to do anyway. So it's all good. Now. At this point, uh, you might have sort of objections. You might say this is all wrong. And here are three objections that you might have that think why, why everything I said is just wrong. Uh, and and I, I think these objections, are, I picked these objections because I think that they, they get an important stuff. And I think I can respond um, uh, to these objections. I think that they do raise important issues and that there's a lot of interesting stuff to be said in. So the first objection that obviously comes to mind is this I used one sort of measure of cognitive efficiency, which is sort of effectively quantifying the number of mental states you need to make a uh, decision. Right? The, 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 the drive-based one needs a lot of drives, the desire-based one needs fewer motivational states. And that's something that's floating through around this discussion as well and I'm just sort of piggybacking on this and, and using this. And as I suggested, the, the, this is not crazy, there's, there's other people who use some measures like this. But you could use other measures and you could create other measures um, that would have the relationship come up differently, maybe drives are more efficient on some other measure of cognitive efficiency, maybe one that takes into account different types of memory, maybe if you're relying on, on, on um, desires you need sort of declarative memory, if you're relying on drives you only need sort of uh, process type memory, distinctions like this, maybe these are important. Um, and I want to agree that it's is actually quite tricky to come up with sort of clearly the good measure, the best measure for uh, cognitive efficiency. That's tricky. And it's also obviously true that different measures of cognitive efficiency is going to order these two things differently. That's true. But I do want to say is the measure I'm using is not crazy. As I say, other people I use it. It's not used just in this context, but it's used, in, for example, when you're doing uh, in linguistics and computation linguistics, people use measures like this, various forms of cognitive neuroscience. People do this kind of stuff. Um, so it, it, it's not crazy. Um, and um, uh, Right. <laughs> uh, so uh, there's certainly, I think, um, um, uh, this is. It's at, at the very least, I want to say this is a useful starting point for, for further work on this. Sort of look, If it turns out differently, I'm, I'm finding this thing is turning out differently. But at least sort of, let's let's sort of figure. Out cognitive efficiency is a thing to focus on here. Let's figure out a good way to measure cognitive efficiency. Maybe we need to take other things into account. But this is a good starting point. You know. Uh, at the very least, and particularly other things that people have come up with, it's not so clear that they work, so this whole um, process memory versus the cloud of memory distinction, that sounds really possible, but then you look into the memory literature and then people aren't so clear exactly what the distinction is, which one is more costly at the end of the day, neurologically they turn out to be not so, so strongly um, uh, dissociated in, in some context and so on, so it's not so obvious exactly, exactly what we meant to say about these things, for us, I think the key is, yes, I think figuring out a good measure of quality efficiency is hard, my measure isn't crazy, it's got something going for it, it's a good starting point, and that's really all I need, because remember, I'm trying to give you a prima facie reason for why desires have evolved, my conclusion isn't, you know, it isn't the conclusion where this is definitely what happened, it's just one thing that might, you know, that, that speaks in favor that, that would, would uh, they force the evolution of desires. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm quite happy with, with with us fiddling with this and saying, well, yes, um, drive-based organisms, you need more drives. So that's sort of a, that speaks in favour of desires. But then, other th- things speak in favour of drives as well. So maybe overall we come out differently. That's fine. But the conclusion, I think, as I have it, still stands. There. So that's the first objection. Second objection. Um, also, it comes to mind, uh, you might say, look, uh, how do I distinguish again desire, desire and drive-based organisms? Because like I said, I mean, you can do the same stuff when you're drive-based and desire-based, so they, they seem to look quite similar, And so how can I distinguish them, and uh, sort of you might, sort of the more particular an institution like this, um, you, might, you might be more preparing like this, and you sort of say, look, I, mean, I, I, want sort of, I want to be able to test this stuff and falsify it in some way, I need data to do this, but if I can't distinguish desires from drives, how can I possibly falsify this account? Um, and now here's what I want to say in response to this. I, I think A, obviously this, this is a bomb. I'm, I agree, I this is it's not a, actually I don't want to say it's a bomb. I, I do want to say this requires some work. Um, but this is true for all accounts of desire evolution accounts and all accounts of, of cognitive architecture effectively. It's often really tricky to distinguish amongst different hypotheses of um, th- that is true. But secondly, it's not That's impossible. Not really <laughs> so I, th- I think there are ways to do this and so the obvious way to do it is to, to do more cognitive ethology, to, to come up with better models, more models about how animals make decisions and then come up with the best way of figuring out how different animals make decisions and over time these models should give us a clue about um, whether these organisms are better captured by a desire model or by a drive based model. And that's exactly the kind of stuff that's in the last 5-10 years. Been happening in, in sort of cognitive neuroscience where they sort of we try to actually look at how neural architecture realize what kind of systems you uh, what kind of um, uh, process diagrams and so on you should, you are best used to capture the way certain animals make decisions uh, and then you sort of map these these different diagrams um, onto each other and onto belief design drive-based uh, architectures, and, and you, you get you get a way to answer this question. Um, and, and the other thing I want to mention, even if you don't really, so this is sort of, I think empirical, getting a way to empirically distinguish these accounts is really important, but I think there's an interest, even before you fully can say which organisms are desire-based and which drive-based, there's still an interest in this account. Because, for example, I can say that there's something wrong with the with account, even though I don't have a clear list of which organisms are desire-based and which drive-based. I can do this because I can rely on other data and other theoretical principles to do this, so it's not so clear that we totally need the to answer that now. The, the third issue is this. Picking up on the, on the second point here, we do notice, here's what, what seems to be clear, that what, what, what sort of cognitive pathology says is that seem, some organisms at least seem to be making decisions used on drives. This is a model that's been used quite fruitfully in a lot of work in cognitive pathology. Anilid, um, for example, um, some mollusks, mollusks, not all of them, um, however, seem to be captured quite well by a drive-based model. Um, and this is important because you might want to say, on my account, having desires is fitter than having drives. So, what, why, so how, how is it possible that there's still these drive based organisms remaining? And, um, and here is, this is important again also because this sort of um, sharpens the, the conclusion I want to give and the, anti, sort of the, the, the adaptationist worries you might have. So, it, it helps us focus in on this. Uh, and So the, the, two, the first two things I want to say here is, is just the things that I said earlier about why, why, what one has to be worried about uh, when it comes to natural selection stuff. Is Firstly, natural selection is not the only factor that influences the evolution of a trait. And Importantly, it is, even for homologous traits, so similar traits in different organisms, a natural selection can be differentially important because, for example, population sizes can be different. So it could be the case that even though having the size is sort of universally adaptive, natural selection as a drive of evolutionary change wasn't <laughs> as important for all organisms you know in the same way so we wouldn't expect drives or desires to evolve in all cases because natural selection wasn't equally important in all contexts. secondly there might be different constraints on how natural selection works in different organisms again some organisms evolve desires, some drives that's perfectly fine on my account, I'm not making this conclusion, I need to assume this all I'm just saying is this, this evidential claim and lastly, I think the picture is more complicated anyway, in that uh, it's quite likely, and you know, I'm here, uh, this is something that also still only admits, and, and there's, there's lots, lots lots of people I think say this kind of stuff. Um, and it's plausible, certainly, that if you're moving from a drive based cognitive architecture to a desire based cognitive architecture, it seems that there's a period in between where you actually, so sort of drive based, here's what we're drive based organisms are at a local maximum, they're doing quite well. And if you have to move away from this, you're going to Make bad decisions for a while, worse decisions than if you were to rely on, on, on drives purely. So you go to this period where you're sort of not as good as you were before, but not you know you're not yet on the desire-based trajectory either. So you're, you're sort of actually there's a period where natural selection actually selects against moving uh, from drives to design. So here's this graph. So if you're somewhat here, then then moving away from drives a little bit forces you back to drives. Only if you get sort of a sufficiently large jump over here. You push into the direction of desire. So um, uh, this is also important because for the same organism, not all all of its decisions need to be desire or drive based. And one reason <coughs> is just that for some for, for some uh, decisions, sort of moving sort of if you if you say you're right, and you only face a and, uh, fight and flight response in some context, there's only two different actions you've got to do. Then sort of relying on a rule might not give you that many efficiency. Savings might not be that good for you, so that the selection pressure is quite weak. Um, but you already have yourself organized quite well, so any small change away from this in your cognitive architecture is going to be detrimental to you. Um, only if you sort of end up in some context where with, with these where these sort of basins are quite small um, will you actually move over to desires. So or if you get a sufficiently large shift, if a lot of stuff happens, a lot of changes happen to your cognitive architecture, you might then end up saying, well, now I better adopt desire something. It is also here interesting to note that n- looking back at Serrani in the previous point, I think, I'm sorry this is so far below, but um, the, um, here's an interesting difference I think between my account and Serrani's account because my account says desires are basically universally adapted, um, taking all of these complications into account. Serrani's account doesn't say this, Serrani says in some contexts, Having desires is adaptive. He's sort of more cagey about this So, I think on, on the face of it, I would expect that <coughs> on my account, we should expect more organisms to have desires rather than Stroud's account. Just as a first sort of thought about this. Um, and that's kind nice, <coughs> sort of nice because it's a way to, to actually distinguish these two accounts <coughs> for what it's worth. Well, almost there, so good news. Um, um, here's an implication. So, if you buy this, all of this, you might say, This is all very interesting. <coughs> but, um, why, why should I care? Um, and and sort of you might care because you think it's unhappy. interesting because you're a nice person but you might also care because there's been a debate in cognitive science and philosophy about this whole business about why we're relying on representations in the first place, right? Representation you represent the world to you um, but why would you do that? The world is sitting there and you can just you know, the, as they say the world is its own best model just use the world that's sitting right there you don't have to represent build a picture of the world in your mind you can just use the world as it is in front of you um, and isn't that, isn't that going to be uh, sufficient uh, and so on this picture, so this whole business about representation has been popular for a while it's sort of an avoidable luxury that we should, that we should get rid of um, and what I want to suggest is this is interesting because on my picture, in, in some ways my picture supports this sort of recent anti-representationalist business and in some ways it disconfirms it. Here's uh, here's how, how I think it's, it supports it. It's a, uh, sorry, how it discontinues On my account, what makes representations interesting is that they make it easier for an to, des- to make decisions. They streamline decision making. It, the difference between a representation and a non representation organism isn't that the representation organism has to rebuild the model of the world, go through extra stuff, but it's rather that it, it has an easier time making decisions. It's quicker, it streamlines it. So that's exactly, it's almost the reverse of what you get in a lot of this stuff on embodied on, uh, on body cognition. but on the other hand, I also think that A, because it's true that, um, that there might be this costly transition period between drives and desires, and also because it's true that I think you can do pretty much the same stuff you can do with drives that you can do with desires, it is also true that you shouldn't jump to the conclusion that we should, should see everything, desires everywhere, and every decision needs to be based on representations, you can get around the world quite well using drives, and there's, there's often a good reason. to think that organisms kept this drive-based model because it does quite well for them. Might be ultimately, if you could get to desires, you could do probably equally well, maybe slightly better with with desires. But your, where you are is perfectly good, and in that sense, I think the anti-representationists are certainly onto something, and that that's absolutely right. There's this idea that we shouldn't we shouldn't overemphasize this representationist business. Yeah. Conclusion. Um. um what I've tried to give you is a prima facie reason uh, for why something like desire-based organisms, evolved well, now something to do with the the, uh, the efficiency of, in the organism's um, cognitive or decision-making mechanism. Um, particularly, I think desires are better because they sort of you you um, uh, replace a lot of storage with a bit of computation. The computation doesn't need to be particularly tricky; it can often be quite simple. But th- th- this sort of this, re- this replacing of of computation with, with storage can, can be uh, energy saving. This is interesting because it stands in, in contrast to Strelny's account which which is maybe kind of like this, maybe he tries to gesture this, maybe it's completely different not entirely obvious but but it isn't quite Strelny's account and I think it adds something at least to Strelny's account. Mm-hmm. So what I'm trying to say is I hope to sort of add something to the debate about the evolution of our evolutionary understanding of, of ourselves other organisms, our minds, particularly of desires, but also added something to the belief design model itself in terms of the value of representation, the value of desires itself. And here's one of these things where I want to say, look, here's here's an interesting issue. And, you know, is this philosophy, is this biology, is it cognitive science, is it psychology, to some extent who cares, right, I mean, let's throw everything we got at this problem, let's try to figure out how we can solve it, let's, let's do the best we can to solve this problem, that's what we're here for um, sort of how we label it at the end of the day is this still called philosophy, is this sufficiently philosophical to be worth the name, or is it, we, is this just really bad dated, lacking psychology or something you know, uh, you know if, if, if that's what it is, then let's make it better but let's, not, I mean, let's not worry about whether it's, it's, it has to remain philosophical at the end of the day, so um, that's that's my conclusion. Thanks very
0: much. Okay, we've got about 20... Uh, half hour for questions here, so uh, I think I'll Armin field his own questions, but if you keep them concise uh, and efficient, maybe I'll get to my question at end. <laughs> so, okay, one,
1: two, three.
2: Um, so in terms of this efficiency of argument, it seems to me you're equating drives with table lookup behavior. Yeah. Um, and I don't. Um, so for instance, I could make a biochemical circuit with about three components that takes the square root. Yeah. You know. So it seems to me that I could have very efficient um, rule following. Sorry, acting in accordance with yeah. rule implementation that would be in general more efficient than um, rule uh, following rule behavior. So, um, so for instance, um, almost any so uh, um, way of constructing a neural architecture that follows a rule is a special case of something that obeys a rule and has extra requirements in order to obey the rule rather than follow the rule. So it seems to me that um, a fo- rule following behavior would always be simpler and more efficient than rule, uh, sorry, um, rule importance behavior would always be more efficient than rule following behavior. Uh, okay. Yeah. So I'm not sure I fully uh, have avoided that question, but um,
1: so um, so I think so I, I think I want to make a distinction between so that there might be different kinds of rule following that I've got on So uh, to, some extent, to some extent, if you think of a your network of sorts, then um, there's in some sense it's going to be acting in accordance with some rule anyway, just because to get the network off the ground. That's fine. Then there's still a further question about the kind of rules that I want to talk about, yeah, the, the behavioural rules. How are they right. So um, m- maybe the the lookup table business is, you know, um, I don't know if that's helpful or not. So I, so I, I completely agree. So you can make fine distinctions amongst life-based organisms. You could, you could label them differently. That's fine. between relying on the lookup table versus relying on a rule. That's the key distinction I want to rely on. For behavioral rules, not not right. I don't want to say, in many ways, I don't want to say the the um, the drive-based, desire-based organisms doesn't, doesn't rely on any drive-like thing. Obviously it still does. In many ways, one way to think about it is maybe I'm trying to locate the the desire based organism in between the sort of full blown representationist stuff that you get in philosophy and the pure drive based stuff, but more in the middle to right. get a better problem.
2: But I don't see the connection between saying it's drive based and saying it has a table lookup. I don't see that connection at all. It seems that you could implement drive based organisms with a lookup table. Right. But that's one of a million different ways of encoding um, drive based behavior. That's right. Right. That's right. And so to say that. Um, that uh, rule based behavior is more efficient than one specific way of encoding drive based behavior doesn't do any, take you very oh, well. Yeah, so, this, this, is why this is
1: why it's important. So, I'm not wanting to say that this is why this ex- consulting and explicit tokening is important. So, mm-hmm. the, the point isn't that the, that the desire based organism is, is sort of just a different way of encoding the same rule. The point is that actually so the the architecture is differently organized in the two cases. So, in the one case, there is no encoding of the rule. In the other case, you encode the rule and you make a decision through, right, through the uh, the explicit consultation of the rule. Um, so, in many ways, you can think about it. I'm comparing two different ways of implementing the rule. You can implement it explicitly, or you can implement it implicitly. And I say the explicit
2: representation,
1: yeah, explicit implementation, has the benefit that in, when when you when you're looking at several options. Uh, it's more efficient. Yeah. Not the simple option, but <coughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. <So>, um, <coughs> you didn't mention the word
3: sentience consciousness at all, yes, at all, so is it alright to assume that these desires are entirely unconscious?
4: Uh, or that they could be, yes. Yeah, so yeah. The word, you're using the word like desire which suggests some kind of awareness, but in fact it
3: can be totally explained in, as well, objective terms of some kind of um,
1: teleological system. Absolutely. So that's exactly right. So this is one of these places where you might say well, ordinary notion of desire might be richer or might might have, might have aspects to it that are not captured by this. And, and that's fine. Then I'm using some sort of technical version of this, of desire star or something. That's okay. Yes, exactly. All right. Okay. So this is nothing to do with the evolution of consciousness. No, exactly, yes. Like. This stuff might be conscious, or there might be a separate account of this might be the same. Drive organisms versus design
5: organisms. Um, and brain biology, for example, in humans, shows that we got terms of our primal brain, and then on top of it, we got the sort of the higher levels of functioning that it kind of is going through at uh, uh, different levels. Could not we have both in one organism? Absolutely, we've yeah. got the drive and we've got the desire coexisting.
1: Yes. Sorry, I meant to. This went quite quick. I meant to suggest that this is true. In fact, <laughs> this is. I mean, this is clearly possible. It seems to be clearly, clearly true. Uh, and the reason for this is that I, I don't want to say uh, that you know. So I don't see it as such one wash. That sort of, if you, if you consider all the decisions the audience has to make, it's not that all aspects of the, the table, as it were, need to have the same potential for, for efficiency, uh, um, you know, extraction than, than all the other ones. So, so some might be quite simple, and you do quite well with drives there, uh, with drives there, and so you, you keep that, and then other ones not, and you you want to move away. And maybe this sort of distinction. Between sort of the, the older parts of the brain and newer parts of the brain might be good, but it's sort of you know sort of maybe emotions are are still there, you, sort of, you know, an amygdala and an insula and so. B- because you know sort of that that gets the job done quite quickly and, and you don't need to worry about it. But then you know there's certain other complex social decision making where you have to keep track of all these people and they want to deceive you, but and it sort of gets harder and, and there sort of just, this table if you do this the drives, gets quite long and then at some point it's just easier to switch to the wall. That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay,
4: I saw a hand over there, and then over there. Yeah, I'm totally sold, thank you. Um, <laughs> and I have noticed your um, examples are almost entirely organic, um, like they're plants, animals, humans, um, and, uh, extending into uh, various forms of human disease. I wonder if it's possible to extend this to non organic um, situations, uh, like, uh, if, for instance, in the uh, institutions such as business and government and economic groups, and whether or not the i mean governments are legendary for <laughs> um, driven by reflexes, drives, and desires for going to war or going to do something else. I might be pushing a metaphor too hard, far here. Yeah? I, I'm not sure whether you can take it from that to another, but there seems to be something resembling a parallel there. Yeah, so
1: good. Uh, so I mean, here's so here's a different. Before I come to you, okay. So here's, here's a different extension that one might have in mind. So robotics, for example, I think um, this is sort of an obvious place, and I think that, I think that's exactly right. So one other impl- implication that one one could one could draw out here is that if you're building robots for for scientific exploration or something, that has to deal with with various. Sort of uh, contingencies and has to make his decisions. This is the sort of story you could tell uh, to say, here's one implementation of, the, of, the, uh, of the, the design of the robot that you know that's important to keep in mind. This is interesting because some of the people in the body cognition literature will say, forget about representation. They're coming from robotics. They, they're coming from this angle. And so one, one way to think about it is to say, well, here's one thing that representation to do for you um, that you can't do without representation. They do allow you to streamline decision making. So I completely agree yes there, there's a potential to extend this in you know, other areas. whether I wanted to extend it into things like you know groups of people you know governments and, and economic organizations uh, it's a bit more tricky because then you have to sort of you have to attribute these sort of sort of states to the, to the, to the ensemble of people somehow, and that's not I don't think that's, that's totally crazy. Uh, uh, anything and people have <laughs> people have, have done stuff like this and so on. And so on. Um, I, you know, I, I mean in principle, I don't have a problem. I, I want to sort of say let's let's see what work it does for us. And, but in principle, I don't have a I have a major objection for, for this. This. Mm-hmm. Is Yes, good. Uh, yes and no. <laughs> uh, so, um, um, so here's the no version. So basically, one of the things that Girolami wants to emphasize is this, this novelty business is really important. Girolami wants to say, look, if you you know you have to deal with these sort of, you know, quicker to, to change you know, with desires, you can learn. You know, so, um, and I want to say well, you can do a lot of that with drives because you can acquire drives quite quickly. You can, If you just add on drives, you can deal with a complex environment as well. But I do want to say that's exactly right is so that adding on to, I mean, in some sense, that's exactly right because adding on drives, at some point you run into these sort of, the, 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 the um, the, the point at which switching to this representational model becomes quicker. And that's exactly right. Uh, larger landscape, <coughs> just the longer, the more options you have, but the the more, the longer it takes to go through all of the possible options. So uh, just to figure the entry, right, to, to keep track of all of these different options, <coughs> the, the quicker it is to, to switch. <coughs> to, to, that's exactly right. And so social environments, and the kind of stuff that's surrounding us, say, drives the evolution of desires, I think it's right. It's just not quite right for the right reasons, or it doesn't give you the reasons, um, there is a handle <clears throat> Does uh, your
4: approach uh, imply uh, that one's got to have, or a desire-based uh, organism, has got to have a brain, not just a nervous system, because that could uh, react to uh, tribes, touch fire and you take the hand away? <coughs> Without any computation, but it seems to me look, <coughs> to have to, to utilize desires, you could have computational power, yeah. And that sure, requires yeah. something larger than a nervous system, it needs a, a brain. Well, I mean, it depends. I think you can, I mean, right? So,
1: you can, you can, there's a depending what kind of behavioral rule you're looking at, what kind of computation you need to do, how, how high you need to go it, is an open question, and sort of lots of quite simple. Uh, nervous systems, you might say, can do quite complex computations. Yeah. So I mean, uh, so I mean, so some people argue that that absorbs uh, that have to make quite complex computations, and um, and they're they're quite well studied in terms of the same goes for sort of, uh, for, uh, for um, uh, certain kinds of jellyfish, which don't have a brain because they don't have a central nervous system, but they, you know, they can still do certain kinds of computations. arguably certain you can. Sort of maybe bacteria can do these kind of things. In, in some sense, I want to. To some extent, I I want to leave this open. Um, okay. um, depending on what the science will, will say, is the right thing. Probably with bacteria, I don't think that's going to be a useful model. With bacteria, I think we're, we're doing very well with, with the drive-based model. That's why I would expect to
4: I was wondering whether when you get on an aeroplane, and they tell you how to get out in the event of a crash. Mm-hmm. But what they're actually trying to do is to suppress your desire. Because, in the, Well, there was a, there was a tremendous uh, uh, aeroplane fire in Manchester, mm-hmm. and they found that the people that survived just got out, and other people got their luggage first, and <laughs> 50 odd people ended up dead. Mm-hmm. And what they, So what they were sort of saying was that people got the desire, which is to protect their property or take it off, whatever. But the, uh, the, so that the idea of them saying, when this happens, you do this. Is is sort of as it were going is reverting from that's, a, a desire
1: to a drive. Yeah, that, that, that's good. I mean, so in, in some sense that's, that's one of these places where you want said you know, it's this kind of this kind of story where if if the options are sort of if if there's a clear cut right answer, there's sort of in this situation there's one thing you want to do and that's get out. That's it. Then then don't worry so much about calculating the answer to that question as does, you know, um, because you know. It's not going to be uh, hyper efficient. If you do the computational rule well, it's going to get you the answer, yeah. uh, and it might not be, it might not take all that much longer, depending on how complex the calculation is. It's just that if you start out having this this nice reflex going through, there's really little reason that I would see changing. So you expect natural selection to maintain that kind of system, if it, particularly if it's costly to change. But then make it the case that you know you're you know you're you're in some high <coughs> building with 14 different elevator shafts. So. Go on different places, and you have to figure out how to make your way out. You know, and, and you sort of could be here, could be this. At some point, you know, you want to say, "Ah, oh, drive might not be so great." It's an odd analogy. I take that analogy back with the elevator That doesn't help. But <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I've, instead of uh, talking about uh, desires versus drives, mm-hmm. I was expecting you to talk about desires versus habits. Where by habits, I mean.
0: Uh, stimulus-response associations. Um, especially because Dorelli um, you know, actually talks about the work by Dickinson in the 1980s where Dickinson did some work in rats which uh, seemed to show that um, in addition to uh, having uh, actions controlled by stimulus-response associations, uh, rats also had, uh, you know, could sometimes control their actions by representations of uh, what outcome the action is going to be to, and uh, represent the value of that outcome. So, uh, yeah. The, the question is, what's the relationship between
1: the uh, distinction between desires and drives, and the distinction between a desire-based system and a uh, habit-based system? Yeah. Good. So, hardly uh, maybe this is enough. so. I didn't mean to, to rule out habit-based systems. But I classified this all under drive-based systems. Okay. So I'm hoping not that, that that, I, that, I, that there's certain stuff that you, that you can't only say with habits somehow that I can't capture in my drive-based stuff. Maybe they're talking about, uh, look at table, it might be more misleading, but it's meant to be the same picture. And in fact, there's some of the same discussion that he does with the one based habits that architectures sort of thick Dickinson and so on. And that, you know, that, I think the discussion there is exactly right. The, 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 the contrast is right. And, that, and might be even conclusions conclusion. Right? The way you get to this conclusion, for example, with Dickinson, sort of, right, sort of, the, here's one, one after this debate. Dickinson says, well, if you want to make sense of how these rats act, you've got to assume they represent the environment, because otherwise you need to posit 400,000 drives, and that's insanely complex. mean um, so it's around really the this, so it's just it's biologically impossible to have that kind of drive Now, and, and I want to say, is that right? And why is why it then, what's the obvious thing that desires do for you here that, that, that drives don't? And I want to say, here, here's something. I mean,
4: Yeah. I'm wondering whether your model the idea of stimulus is similar for the desire-based and drive-based
1: well depending depending what you mean by stimulus so often well, that, that's the, what I'm asking yeah. you okay. what, so you, what do you mean by it so if you, if you understand stimulus and response in this classic sense then that I want to associate this with the drive-based model but if you mean by a stimulus right, so if, if you understand stimulus as the half of the stimulus and response package then that's to me the drive-based package so if you understand by stimulus just something like a a means of acquiring information about the world and that is perfectly consistent with, with a desire based organism in that I don't so I don't want to because I don't want to make assumptions about whether the organism has beliefs or not right, represents its environment so if, if a stimulus you know if you allow a stimulus to be representational then you can stimulate an organism and if that doesn't have to trigger a certain response that it's just a certain environment that, that you know Certain information that it it acquires, then then that's that's perfectly consistent with it, and so um, yeah, depending what you mean by symbolism in this in this debate, that's that's I think what the answer is. Both, and that's because it's, it's just not. It is if you if you assume an organism starts out because all organisms start out simply, and um, we say a simple organism is the, the drive based organism as the ancestral state. even some that that doesn't does us right for bacteria. We want them to a model maybe they'll start out. Well, let's assume that the ancestral state was the drive phase state. Then why would you move away from from drive to desire? Well, you know it might not be you one might not switch over completely from one to the other in the sense that all your decisions are switched over, you switch over in some aspects to it, you rely on some behavioral rules in some contexts but not others you make decisions about where to go and find both sets and using representations but uh, what to do when you're faced with a line and make it a different way and that's, that's right, I, I want to agree with this I think that, that's right, whether, sort of, I want to agree with this based on some sort of basic general principle of evolution favouring different solution uh, I don't know but I, I want to agree with the conclusion. This, this stuff about epigenetic drift and so on. No, I completely agree. there are, there are other things are the natural selection that matter in evolution, and then I, that's, that's why I try to say I don't want to say this is what must have happened with desire. So I want to say you know, here's one thing that speaks of the evolution of desire in, in some organisms, which is that they're fitter. Um, absolutely, if, if, the, if the population is small, the fitness, uh, if the fitness difference is not very large, because it's a small well then, you we, we would expect you we might well expect desires not to evolve, or you might be agnostic. So I want to agree. That's, that's exactly right. Uh,
3: Only distinction between drives and desires. Yes. Uh, as, as you mentioned, a drive could be the encoding of a rule in in in, in some sense within. The architecture is, is, which does not involve a representation. That, that, that so that's still. So be we think has to be right because at some point representation has to give way, otherwise we're
1: ending up with this. Okay. With this so bedrock of unexplained representation. That's odd. Yeah. It, okay. it, so this, this whole thing is meant to rest on just on on a neural network. All right. Which is on, on drives. Of, so, of, of very broadly, understand. it's just it's just
3: uh, you know action potentials of various times. So. Okay. So, but. Um, the distinction still between this this higher level or the level of desire Mm -hmm. uh, and drive um, which uh, the the, the distinction then is the is is it a sort of hypothetical whether it's conscious or not but as you said it doesn't have to be conscious but is it in a sense or at least analogically a sort of playing out of the rule before you actually play it out uh, through a representation on in
1: your course, yes. in your on, 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 my, on, on my uh, other alternative? You you're not you're not playing out the rule in any way at all, completely. So right. So if you're drive based, you're just there's a yeah. certain representation of the world, and you and that triggers a certain response. There's no yeah. this, this response is mediated by this intermediate step of what's the right rule. Now that's this intermediate step is then encoded, obviously, in, in, in the network, which in some Broad sense is not based on representations; it can't be. But but it's still it, the, the sort of one way to think about so, it is, yeah. is you, um, and this is you. This is such a bad metaphor, but I mean, okay, so you can uh, a computer hardware, this computer chip, this you can you can use in different ways to build different <coughs> systems on top mm. of this. And at the end of the day, it's 0 and 1 the end of the day it's yeah, it just what it one it. and ones. Yeah. But yeah. you can you, you can use different combinations of zero and ones and mm-hmm. hook them up in different ways to build different mm-hmm. systems. You can
3: you can capture this with sort of these funky <coughs> wiring diagrams about what sort of rule this thing can code. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's but where what what what's what's about. happening then still in the desire is that you've built up out of your zeros and ones as a sort of model that's like if you like. A model of what, what, is, out, what, of what is what is out of reality. And you're sort of engaging with that model in, in a desire. Uh, yeah, you're it's not so much that you're building a model of what the world is like, as yes, more of sort of what you ought to do to the world, what the, the rule is, what the thing to do is. Because okay. what the world is like, that's the belief stuff, which you might not do. Mm. I see. I see. So you're building a model of, of what you ought to it's do. The and rule. Sort of, the thing to do right now
1: is this, mm. and I can solve that. Right. Mm, I might also yeah. consult some sort of mm-hmm. model of what, what I believe the world to be, we represent the world that might be true, that's the belief component <coughs> and <main depth> <coughs>
3: component. Mm-hmm. maybe that comes
2: with the component, maybe it does not but I want to leave that open I have a story about
1: that too but it mm-hmm. looks quite likely. To mm-hmm. does that help? yeah, I, I, yeah it's, it's interesting yeah. That's good,
3: thank you um, so we have
5: a follow up question so in a way your desire to be just to follow your drives, so it then becomes a rule. So in a way your drives are simply a subset of your desires, if desire is a rule, then the rule is following So here's what you could
1: do if I understand yeah. correctly, you could have your rule is, and then you, you build, you know, the thing to do is, if you're in a situation as one, do this, if you're in a situation, do this, so then you build this as a rule, your drive-based architecture as into the rule. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, things that sense, it will never be observable, you will never empirically know. Yeah, and that, that would be surprising if that were if an efficient way to make a decision, because then it seems because you now you're just right, you're just mimicking exactly the the right. It's, it's not clear why you're not in what sense you're still comp- sort of the kind of computation you're doing so this relying on this kind of rule is quite minimal, right? So ideally, you find sort of you want it's like it's a bit like you want to find the explicit function that you that you're relying on, it's not just some sort of implicit function or form all of this like I give you a linear or a non-linear differential equation <coughs> I'd like you to write down the exact the proper <coughs> equation for, uh, for the variable at any point in time, not just sort of well there's a unique solution and I can approximate it somehow or that. In terms of observing uh, yeah. the difference between whether uh, an organism
5: is desires or mm-hmm. drives because,
1: you know, you okay, right. Yeah, that, that, rather that kind of would the size. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the way I would expect you make this distinction is something like, look, you can here's if I want to k- understand how this organism behaves, and I can posit three different drives, and then I basically capture this behaviour really well, uh, and you know, at, at that point he starts to think, oh, it c- I could embody this rule, and then <coughs> the, the the gains from from relying on this rule are sort of you know, th- this rule looks looks like it's it's basically just a redescription of the three drives in some form. Then you know, put differently if cognitive pathologists find it really useful to to use three drives to describe this organism, that's fine. To the extent that cognitive pathologists start saying, maybe like Dickinson, this this isn't the way to go, we ought to really much better capture this behaviour of work well if we say it relies on this rule. C- certain classic mistakes you would make if you have if you miscalculate sometimes, if you make sort of that would explain patterns of mistakes better. So that would be a good reason to say desires versus targets.
0: I think uh, we have time for one more question.
1: Make it yours.
5: Maybe
0: my
2: mind's <laughs> been asked <laughs> no. in various forms. That's good. <laughs>
1: okay. I have. There's no
2: one there. Okay, well, um, both desires and beliefs require tokenism, require representation. It seems odd why you and Cyrilny want therefore, therefore it seems odd why you and Cyrilny both want uh, independent uh, descriptions of the evolution of the two traits mm-hmm. because it seems It's it yes, actually just uh, want a evolve representation e- it? Yes, because uh, a, a, an organism won't an organism that can have beliefs that has to have you, don't, you don't, not, has to have some desires, and similarly, an organism that has desire, desires has to have some beliefs. They don't have to uh, not have to directly correspond. But, but the yeah, I think certainly
1: would would deny it sort of, as a conceptual truth. Theory. you would deny it, and mm-hmm. and so I, and I would agree with this, right? So you could imagine an organism that has beliefs that that sort of forms a picture of representation of the world, but then sort of every representation is just triggering one particular response. It doesn't represent a rule of what it ought to do. It just says it sort of comes up with. I believe it's raining now. Boom, it does one thing. I believe it's snowing. It does the other thing. Right? Um, it doesn't go. Okay, I believe it's raining, and so you know. Oh, well, here's the rule. The thing to do is, and then you have some calculation, and you plug in your belief. But well, that would be belief and desire driven. It goes also the other way around. You could have some, some, some rule that you're relying on, but the ru- rule doesn't belong on beliefs, but it relies on certain sort of. Perceptual states, or certain, you know, strange sort of. If you if you're faced with this sort of pattern of colours and shapes, you know, or here's the rule, and the rule says manipulate patterns of of retinal impressions in this way, or you know, something like this. Then that's desire-based without being belief-based. So it goes different ways. Now, do I need to? Storani really thinks there must be different, and I'm not sure. That I want to agree with that. I, th- I think there's probably good reason to think that if one evolves, the other evolves too. But conceptually, I think it's still, there's still reason to think that they're different. But that. Yes.
0: Thank you. Thank you.